0: I'm Kimberly C. Paul. Today, we talk with Jed Smith. He's a painter, photographer, and American expat blogging about his life in Italy. We travel with Jed through his personal story of losing his biggest fan, his mother. How do we become the architect of our own destiny? Throughout two decades of working with the dying, I think I've discovered the secrets to dying well in America. We must learn to build the pathways to our last chapter, to create the blueprints that reflects our individual lives and values. Knowledge is power, and if we desire a death that reflects our life, we must become the designer. Welcome, my friend. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you.
0: So we're here to talk about your mom Liz Smith Cox, tell me a little bit of this extraordinary woman you were fortunate to call your mom.
1: I often refer to my mother just as a force of nature. She was an extraordinary woman who had an extraordinary life force. She imparted that energy to everyone that she taught um, because she was a teacher in the public school system to us her children and to all of her friends mom was a woman before her time in my opinion she was in college in the early 40s and she decided to pursue art as her career and as you might imagine at that time there were a lot of people who would frown upon anyone who would pursue the arts because it was considered a playtime a craft not something that would lead to a viable career Yet, uh, she pursued it, and I just think she had a fire in her heart for art. And fortunately, uh, she passed that on to me, and she ignited that fire in many of her students.
0: And she also was a big proponent of keeping art in the public school system.
1: Oh, yeah. In fact, at times, I thought that mom would get a little political, you know, when you're a little kid, your parents... It's pretty vocal about certain stuff. On one hand, you don't know whether to, to be proud of them or on the other hand, to be like, oh no, the kids are going to say something. But ultimately, we were, we were very proud of her. Uh, I think the first glimpse I had of that was when she stood up at a PTA meeting after a, a man got up and gave an impassioned speech about how art was a waste of time in the schools and that as long as kids had coloring books, we didn't need art classes. And she got up and she dressed that man down in front of so many people. I think from that point on, she knew that it was her mission to make sure that art was an integral part of a child's education. And mom is regarded by many people in the state of South Carolina as a major influence in making art a part of the required curriculum in the schools.
0: And you are an artist. Talk to me a little bit about how she influenced you.
1: You think a lot of parents believe things about their children because they look at their children through rose-colored glasses. But my mom, she was an honest soul. She would not tell me I had a skill or push me in a direction unless she saw that that skill actually existed. And I remember when I was about five years old, I had a a hunk of clay that she gave me, and I made this... um, piece of sculpture, which I call the Happy Squirrel. And it was pretty remedial, but it had movement, it had life, and it, the little thing had joy. And mom looked at that and said, you have talent and we're gonna work with this. And so I grew up where, you know, my bedroom was always, you know, for many years my bedroom was right next to her art studio. So, you know, I would go in, I'd play with her um, crayons, her chalk, or pencils, and you know, instead of being scolded for getting in her stuff, she was always encouraging me to do stuff. I was very fortunate because art was just part of my daily diet from a very early age. And she taught me that you learn to speak English. You learn to speak well. But she also told me art was another form of communication and expression.
0: When did you start noticing your mom's health declining? I
1: moved to Italy in May of 2013. And mom had had some problems, but she got over them. My sisters, who were closer geographically, were able to keep an eye on her. They told me not to change my plans. I moved to Italy. I was fully prepared to come back at a moment's notice if anything changed. In September of that year, Mom had uh, made a trip to Italy to see my house that I had bought and had completely renovated. I was amazed that she had the stamina and wanted to make the trip. And so she came. uh, In retrospect, I, I I think that it was something that was on her bucket list. All my friends were shocked and amazed that this woman who was almost 90 years old had made such a long journey and was still so vibrant. His mom's mind was still like super sharp. She was not feeble-minded at all. But on the trip there, I noticed that her, her stamina was really dramatically reduced. She took lots of naps. I had to help her a lot more. And I remember calling my oldest sister and saying, something has changed significantly and I wouldn't be surprised if we're starting to approach the beginning of the end.
0: So that was that dramatic. Um, you noticed it. Yeah.
1: Because, you know, my mom was, you know, always stubborn as a mule about doing stuff for herself. And I always had a lot of confidence that she could take care of herself, but she required so much help. Like, you know, getting into the bathtub, going up and down the stairs. And I just couldn't, like every 30, 45 minutes she needed to lay down and take a nap. And her breathing was um, labored. Uh, She had had breathing issues for years. After she went back in October is when things really started turning. And I think it was in November is when she got pneumonia again. My sisters were with her in intensive care. And after several days, I called him and said, I'm coming home because you guys need some relief and I need to kind of take over. So I stayed with her her last days in ICU, got her transferred to a room in the hospital. It was quite an experience because I think she was on so many drugs and there's such a disorientation that happens to people when they're in, in a hospital setting like that. Uh, she was really frightened. The nurses were concerned about her the night that I wasn't there with her in her room. So the next night I spent the night next to her and it's like every time she woke up in the night and could see me, she would calm down. It was I was like her lifeline. Then I uh, helped her to get transferred to the rehabilitation hospital. First, they had to come and uh, assess her to make sure that she was a candidate for rehab. Fortunately, they decided she was, so I got her checked into the rehab hospital and settled into the routine there. (sighs) I think I was there for about three days, and then I hopped a plane and went back to Italy. But I promised her that I would be there to get her checked out and get her home in time for Christmas. And so she was in rehab for about two weeks. My sisters came in. They spent time with her. My mom has an enormous group of friends. And so uh, she was not, she was, she was never alone. She never uh, was without support. But it felt really good to fly back and to pack her up and take her home. And I think it was Christmas Eve. I brought her home.
0: How long did you spend with your mom? Did you spend the Christmas holiday with her?
1: Yeah, Christmas Eve. Uh, one of my best friends drove up from Atlanta and we had a Christmas Eve dinner with my mom and my sisters came up on Christmas Day. You know, at this point in time, conversations were becoming a lot more serious about her care and her comfort. The thing that I didn't mention earlier when I was talking about how stubborn my mom was is that... She resisted for the longest time having any type of in-home elder care, and we tried to convince her, you know, that this is just for, like, you know, cooking for her, doing laundry, taking the pressure off her daily tasks. I really credit my oldest sister, Shelly, for taking a hard line with her and basically spelling out for her that if she didn't accept the in-home care, that due to our inability to be there all the time to take care of her and for her to be able to take care of herself, that she might be looking at assisted care living or some type of nursing home, which is something that she would resist like the plague.
0: So tell me a little bit about some of those moments that you shared with me the other day.
1: The one time that stood out the most to me was one night when... We were laying in bed and I could hear the hiss of the oxygen machine and I knew mom was a little bit restless and she reached over and she held my hand. It calmed her down and it calmed me down. We fell asleep that way and when I woke up, I would say an hour or two later, we were still holding hands. I'm really glad that that was comforting to her, but it was such a a gift to me to be able to have that kind of that physical contact with her the other thing that i loved doing was brushing her hair my mom had the most beautiful silver hair and it was so soft and i hope when you know my hair gets that gray (laughs) that it's that beautiful as well but I just remember, you know, brushing her hair and how nice that was. And I think it was nice, even nicer for me than it was for her. But it's just, it really strikes me, you know, that when you begin to care for your parent, that the roles really do reverse in a lot of ways. And you start realizing and appreciating all those sweet, tactile things that your mother did for you when you were a child and that you are kind of getting chance to pay it back.
0: Your mom was like, I don't want anybody in the house. I I want to take care of myself. Talk to me a little bit about how she allowed hospice to come into the home.
1: Well, fortunately, mom wasn't like a lot of people who get all freaked out when they hear, hear the word hospice because mom had personally experienced other people who had been under the incredible hospice care that, you know made their lives really comfortable and gave them the kind of quality that I think people want to have you know until were, their very last breath. I actually think that my sisters and I were more apprehensive than she was. Speaking for myself, it was almost like, okay, if we suggest hospice to a mom, does she think we're giving up on her? So I don't think any of us slept very well the night before. We had the director of Upstate Hospice Services come to do an interview to answer questions, and Mom was completely fine with that. She made a list of questions. The woman came, couldn't might have been nicer, could not have put us at ease more quickly. But what I was really impressed with is that, of course, she knew that it was important to take care of us and answer our questions. But there was no question that her focus was completely on my mom. She spoke to my mom, knowing that she was probably getting answers to some questions that we had. She was direct. She didn't sugarcoat anything, but she did it all in a way that, I mean, I couldn't have done it better myself. She explained what hospice was. I think the big issue she said, is, you know, she said this is the, the most important question is that what do you want to happen if, when you have your next medical crisis? Do you want the EMTs coming? Do you want the ambulance coming? Do you want to be back in ICU? Do you want to be given, you know, when you're in the hospital, she said certain things are kind of out of your hands because their charge is to keep you alive. She recognized that mom had already been through that. She said, so when you have a medical crisis, if that's what you want, then let us know because hospice is not right for you. And then she explained, if you don't want to go through that process again, you want to be made comfortable. You want to make sure that the quality of your life is there. That's what we are here to do. She said that some people our hospice and once they're taken off all the other drugs and they're allowed to do more what they you know normally do that they actually improve and there's some people who graduate from hospice now of course we all knew that wasn't going to be the case with mom because her health was so far you know down the tubes uh but you know i, I filed that away and i said you know that's a lot of people don't realize that because a lot of people, when they hear hospice, they they feel like you're inviting death in and that you're throwing in the towel. And she really said "But it depends on what you want. And she said, tell me what you want. And I remember mom looked at her and she said, can you promise me that you won't let me suffer? And the woman looked at her and said, yes, I can promise that we won't let you suffer. And my mom said, she nodded, and she goes, okay, I'm good to go.
0: You were in Italy when you got the phone call to come home. I think it was
1: maybe on July, excuse me, January the 3rd or 4th. I called my friend in California who's been a hospice nurse for over 20 years. And Questioning whether coming back was the right thing to do. I just don't know when, what's going to happen and when it's going to happen. I said, What advice would you give me? And she said, You have been with your mom so much. You've done so much for your mom, and she knows that you've been there for her. And she said, Now, what I'm going to tell you next may be hard to hear, but you need to hear it. She says, When you get the phone call, that things are changing very rapidly. And if you can't get home in time, which is a very good possibility, don't beat yourself up because your mom knows you love her. You've had really precious time with her. So just be prepared for that to happen. And so what happened on, I guess it was the 7th, I was going to have dinner with friends and my sister called and said, Mom's, she's getting fluid on her lungs, and the nurse thinks she has pneumonia. And they would like to move her to their hospice house, which is a great facility, because they felt like they could watch her, and they could administer drugs to make her more comfortable with greater ease. And would would I be okay with that? I said, you know, you don't even have to ask, of course. And my other sister, Dale, she was, you know, all on board, too. Both my sisters and I were in lockstep about everything. So anyway, I went to dinner, and I just had this weird feeling that things were going to change rapidly. And I'd already told my sister when I got home that evening I was going to book my flight home the next day. When I got home, before I called Delta Airlines, uh, my sister called and said, I'm on my way home to the hospice house. And I said, why? I said, I thought everything was stable. And she said, well, the nurse had called and said that when she was washing my mom, she noticed that she had modeling on her feet. And I said, well, what's that and what does that mean? And the nurse explained to Shelly that that is one of the physical signs that the body is starting to shut down. And she said, I think it would be best if you can get here sooner than later. I said, I'll be there and I'll call you as soon as I have my flight booked, knowing she was in the car racing home. I called Delta. that could not have been nicer. I had a trip to the United States like a month later and they changed everything and didn't charge me a fee. I was going to have to spend the night in Boston. But the main thing is they, they had me on a flight at eight o'clock the following morning. I was not packing, my mind was racing. I was also afraid because, sorry, I think my biggest fear in life was losing my mom. And I didn't know if I was gonna be ready for that. So all these things were going on inside of me and so I got up the next morning and I drove like a bat out of hell to get to the train station and uh, I remember the drive right before I got to the train station This is a stretch of road and it was the most beautiful morning sky and I always call it mama's stretch of road because later I found out that she died well She died while I was making that drive. When I parked my car at the train station, my phone rang, and I saw it was my sister. I picked up the phone, and she said, she's gone. She's flown away. And she was lying in bed with Mom. And she told me that the nurses helped her into bed so she could hold my Mom and cradle her and sing to her when she died.
0: She also told your mom that you were on your way.
1: Yeah, she she told me when I called her to give her my uh, flight details, and she, she told me that she told mom that I was coming. She said, Mom, just smiled. So she knew, and, and that was important to know that she knew. It was a very interesting trip home. I was so happy that my older sister was there. And one of the things that I said later is that I thought how appropriate it was that her first child that she held and welcomed into the world held her when she left the world. And it was very important for me to go see where mom was on her last day. And so I went to visit the house and I was afraid because I thought I was gonna like have a meltdown, a emotional meltdown, or be freaked out. Kimberly, really, I I can't really explain what I felt when I went in there, but there was some there was warmth in this place. Everybody I met was like an angelic being. I saw where mom in her room was. And I got to walk around and I remember when we left, I sat in the car and I looked at Shelly and I said, I'm so glad I got to do this. And I said, I feel like I got to visit Heaven's Waiting Room. It didn't feel like like a sad, dark place, even though you knew there were people who were grieving there, but it just felt like a really special, loving place. I just hope that more people can experience that kind of um, time when their lives come to an end.
0: Your mother also it was your biggest cheerleader. And some of the life lessons, the words of wisdom, you received from your mom. I I wish every child could hear some of the things that she said and encouraged you to be who you are. Um, Can you share some of those um, as our last words? Because you did have an extraordinary mom who really encouraged you and wanted you to know that no matter who you became, that you would always be loved. My
1: sisters were doing an interview with my mom Uh, when I think PBS was going around the country interviewing um, parents with some of their children present to talk about their lives. And my sisters called me and were telling me about it afterwards because I think I was living in Italy at the time. I guess they learned a few interesting things about my mom. Some of them were funny. But the other thing that was... Interesting is that uh, my sister Shelly said, did you know that mother considered you her soulmate? There aren't many times in my life I've been rendered speechless, but that was one of those moments because I, I had no idea that she considered me to be, considered us to be that connected. That was such a, an amazing thing to hear. we were both artists. We always talked about art. And she was always pushing me along and encouraging me. That just kind of blew me away. And I guess she saw a lot of herself in me, and I know that I I can see a lot of myself in her. The thing that remains with me today is her advice about adversity. When she would see me ever getting kind of jacked up about stuff or angry or upset or worrying, she would just kind of calm me down and she would look at me and she would say this too shall pass and sometimes I just needed to be reminded that life continues to flow and to change I think somewhere in saying that too is to remember to have faith that life will take care of you
0: first of all I just thank you for sharing your mom's story and what a beautiful experience um, in the moments that you've shared today I really do appreciate allowing me to share your story
1: I'm happy to do that and I love talking about my wonderful mom and what she gave to me
0: well I believe she lives on through you because I can see it I wish I knew her but I sort of feel like I do through you now so thank you so much
1: You're you're welcome thank you
0: Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer.